0: And that's what we use here on the Met Stub Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What is up, Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Met Stub Podcast, episode number 95, presented by the Seven Line just wrapped up a disappointing series against the San Francisco Giants out in the Bay Area. What is up Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets The Podcast. Episode number 95 presented by the 7-Line just wrapped up a disappointing... What is up Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets The Podcast. Episode number 95 presented by the 7-Line just wrapped up a disappointing series against the San Francisco Giants out in the Bay Area. A lot of ups and downs. A lot of interesting things honestly happened in this series. We talked a lot the last series about the Colorado one. This one... There seems to be a lot of storylines, a lot of commentary, not just you know between us, but in the Mets community about what has been going on with the Mets. People are starting to worry. People are starting to panic. I can tell you right now, we are not those people. So if you want to hear a very sane take, you found the right podcast to listen to because we will not be jumping off the bridge. We are not at any sort of panic level yet. But we will talk about what the problems and concerns are that did happen that we did see in this series. So make sure you guys stick around and listen to us. If you are not yet following us on our social media, at MetsUp on Twitter and Instagram, as well as the YouTube channel is the MetsUp Podcast. If you want to watch a video version of it, if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen, you'll be able to find us. Drop us a rating, drop us a review, it really does help us out. And without further ado, the boys are together. Here's James. Here's James. Very good. Also, Mark, to mention, we're going to have a prospect report at the end of this episode, too. First
1: one in about two weeks. So, I'll have that for you guys as well. But just, I don't know, mildly disappointing series in the Bay Area against the Giants. You kind of got lucky against them with the series in New York last time. You almost took a game. You shouldn't have won that series 3-1. Felt like it was kind of really a true split, but... They kind of got lucky, not lucky, they kind of just got ahead of you in this one. I don't know, the Giants are a good team. We've been talking about the Giants a lot. The fact that we got these games with them out of the way early, I think is a blessing in disguise in general. Definitely. Just the fact that we don't have to go to San Francisco like we usually do at the end of the summer, we don't have to face this team at even fuller strength than they're at right now, even though they're basically full strength of the series. They're pretty close, I think. Yeah, no belt.
0: Yeah, no, no belt. Band. Belt's a big part of their offense, obviously, but... Regardless, like you said, this is a good team, this is a smart team, yeah. and especially when Jock Peterson, as we're going to talk about a little bit, is playing like Barry Bonds. I mean, it's hard to beat them. It's kind of funny. Did you talk about that because of that conversation that
1: Jock and Bonds had? Like, yeah. I don't know, Jock said that Bonds bestowed like hitting wisdom onto him. You think you just
0: told him to hit home runs? He said it was the greatest yeah. conversation about baseball he's ever had in his life, to which I go, how does someone... Not throw Barry Bonds the bag immediately when you hear that. Jock Peterson has a conversation with him, and all of a sudden, he's like, baseball makes sense. I know how to hit again.
1: Haven't teams tried to do that? Didn't the Marlins have him in briefly? The Marlins had him in,
0: and Christian Yelich and John Carlos Stanton both said that he was a huge reason as to why they were able to start hitting for more power and have success. But one of the reasons that Barry Bonds, I don't think, stuck around in Miami was, one, big ego, big head. He wants to be able to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. That was always a thing with Barry Bonds. Always a thing. Always a thing. And two, I believe that he was very much... I don't want to say anti-analytics, but I think it was the Barry Bonds way. And if you told him it was anything else, if you t- gave him any information that wasn't what he did, you probably didn't want to hear it. He'd be like, how many home runs did you hit in yeah, the major leagues? Because I hit 762. So <laughs> I could find one person who hit more than me. We could get Sadahara O, who played in Japan. Like, there's no way. Buck O'Neill, allegedly. Yeah, Buck O'Neill, Josh, Josh Gibson, Gibson. Those guys. Yeah, I mean... I wish Barry didn't have that conversation. And we'll get we'll get more in depth on that in a little bit. But let's start off with the win because there actually was something I think is really, really big for this Mets team going forward and a huge positive. And that's David Peterson. Yeah. What a start by David Peterson. Really, really good, especially because the Giants crush left-handed pitching. Yeah, and
1: we saw that on Wednesday against Thomas Sapuki. But David Peterson having another good start in his return to the major leagues again in the wake. Of the Max Scherzer injury, knowing that the Mets are going to go through about four to six more weeks here, where pitching depth is going to be hard to come by. Him pitching well is monumentally important to this rotation. He looked like he even had the upside to be, at worst, probably the third best pitcher in this rotation, if not the second best, being maybe better than Carrasco on certain days,
0: depending on who's on and who isn't. When he's pounding the strike zone like he was, because he really was, did he he walk anybody even? I don't believe so. Yeah, I mean, he was, I don't want to say dominant, because that's... Quite good, he was quite good. He was quite good, though. He was in control the entire time, outside of the Brandon Crawford home run, because I just, I can't win with that guy.
1: I also said Jock Peterson was struggling. Oh for my the last God. for
0: the last couple of weeks. Okay, well, when we're previewing this Phillies, we're not talking bad about anybody. No. they're playing great baseball. You, you, you're not going to talk bad about any Phillies. I will not. Oh man, that's so tough. I, we'll figure it out. We'll see how I feel by the end of this episode. But yeah, I uh, I said Brandon Crawford was not playing well, which he was. He wasn't playing well. I was not being biased by any means. It was a true fact. Just like Jock Peterson wasn't playing well. These no. are these are statements that were true. Yes. But in typical messed up fashion, we do we do have sometimes the jinx here, yeah, and we jinxed it hard because Brandon Crawford started to play well. Jock Peterson obviously did, and Brandon Crawford got an early home run off of David Peterson in this game, which, man, I mean, we knew that was coming. Yeah, but that was the only damage done to Peterson
1: all night on Monday. He wound up throwing six innings, which for David Peterson, the David Peterson that we've come to know over the last
0: few years, that is pretty crazy. Just from. The, the what he's become. Becoming. S- six innings in modern baseball is massive. Yeah. If we, five innings have David Peterson. If he gave five innings every start, we'd go, what a job by David Peterson. The yeah. fact he was able to go six, that extra innings is huge, especially because you know we're going to need it at some point. We're going to be playing catch-up. And he was just also
1: in complete control the entire night, especially after that Brandon Crawford home run. This is something that I wasn't really expecting because the Giants are a team, like you mentioned, crushes lefties, and they're just a team that has so much information that you'd figure they'd have a plan in place for a guy like David Peterson. But they had nothing. He retired the last 11 he faced on Monday and was just cruising up until he came out of the game. And this whole jump with Peterson is all about the development of his slider, a pitch that he didn't even have a few years ago, coming up as a sinker changeup guy at Oregon, too, when he was a first-round pick. But... He was using that slider, especially against the right-handed heavy line that the Giants put out there and was great. He had eight whiffs on it from Monday on 16 swings, and six of those eight whiffs were against right-handed batters all on the back foot. And it wasn't even a back foot slider that he was really burying like deep, deep, deep on a back foot, like starting in the inside corner and diving to the back foot. It was a lot of like just kind of harder sliders that were settling in off the plate, but not in a way that would be like particularly obvious to a hitter. Yeah, And he got Evan Longoria with a few of them, a guy who got pretty hot in the series. He actually whiffed three times on back foot sliders. Command is critical for Peterson just because his stuff isn't really the best in the world
0: and he doesn't throw that hard. but. When he can put that slider where he wants it, he's going to be a good pitcher. Along with the fastball command, it just, it makes a difference. It makes a difference. And again, you mentioned the first round pick thing. Like clearly someone saw something at some point with David Peterson. I think a lot of Mets fans, maybe even including myself, wrote him off early at times just because he did look lost. He didn't look like a first round pick, but if he's pitching like this, whatever Jeremy Hefner is getting him to do right now, he's going to fit in this rotation really well.
1: Well, I've had some choice words for Peterson, too, in the past. And I think what the Mets saw in Peterson before the drafting him was that he was a pitcher with a high floor and good proximity to the majors as an older college pitcher who just threw sinkers and change-ups. That's a guy who will get to the major leagues and probably be at least useful. And that did happen very quickly for Peterson. Yeah. Not very quickly, moderately really quickly. He got to the major leagues in about three-ish years. Yeah. And he came and he had some kind of a floor, but it seemed like there was no ceiling, which was the whole reason that we were critical of, again, the first-round pick tag. But now the changeup and the sinker are not really a big part of his repertoire at all anymore. It's all forcing fastball and slider. And that fastball is sitting between 93 and 95 with fantastic extension. Yeah. And that slider is at least a useful pitch. When the command is on, both of those pitches, he can get anybody out on either side of the plate. And the, he's doing that. And we need it so badly right
0: now. And I'm very confident that he has stepped up to the plate, if you will. Yeah, for him to be above league average like he has been these last few starts for us, with the way that the Mets offense, especially this series, was clicking at times, that's all we need. That's all we need. And in this game, the bats were clicking. I mean, Lindor... Got started. A little, little bit of luck here, yeah. but I mean, that's what you got to take sometimes. And then that absolute bomb by Pete. I mean, you want to have good batting average, you need to have good luck.
1: And that Francisco Lindor blooper was good luck. Also, the, I, I don't remember that game that was rough in the outfield playing left or Peterson. But no matter what, the Giants don't really value corner outfield defense because they want to bat in there a little bit more. So that's going to happen. The team is a bad outfielder out there fine. It dropped in right before the line. And then Pete. Mammoth home run. Got his 40th RBI of the season. Hope a lot of people out there are riding
0: with the messed up boys. For Pete, most RBIs in the league. Is he st- he's he was what? Tied for it? I don't he's know. Behind if he's behind Jose Ramirez. now. Okay, he's behind Jose Ramirez. J. Ram's a beast. But yeah, Pete is feels like every time he comes up with the runners scoring position, almost. He's he's getting those runs in, and the home runs are definitely helping too. To this point, yeah, the la- next two games of the series, he wasn't as good as he was last weekend in this Monday game, but
1: that home run was really massive. It gave the Mets at the time a 5-2 to lead, and they yep. would not look back. No, would
0: not look back. We had the heckler who yeah. was sitting next to the camera who I called out, and I think the first or second inning on Twitter I was like, can we please move this guy? I just don't want to hear his conversation. He's not funny. I saw a funny tweet that was saying the only thing that's crazier than the heckler standing there and continuously being wrong about what he's saying is the group of people Laughing around him As if he was <laughs> saying Anything funny I don't think that If you were a Giants fan That was particularly funny Either what he was saying
1: No but there's some Kind of sentiment That those dry Baseball heckles Are like kind of funny At mm. the end of the day Like remember the Hunter Pence stuff At yeah. City Field From like almost 10 years ago now oh, That's geez. a long yeah. time That he like can parallel park Yeah he can parallel
0: park He like sub- Catch up on pizza I think that is funny though Because his shoes. Hunter Pence was also A weirdo though Yeah So like I think it was also Rang a little true as well Which is what made it funny Well
1: the two guys Who the heckle stood out The most for And again this heck Heckler did procure a Mets rally that ended up putting this game far out of reach in the eighth inning, where Jeff McNeil and Pat Mazika, who objectively are kind of funny, weird guys
0: anyway. Definitely, for sure. The squirrel and Pat Mazika, who has just one of the most unique swings I've ever seen. Yeah, but this heckler told Jeff McNeil he has no legs and no power, instantly put the ball in the McCovey Cove,
1: actually moments later. Yeah. Not even a full five seconds after the words left the heckler's mouth. The pitch was being thrown. Ball was in the water. Gone. Crushed it. Yep, then Mark went back-to-back with Jeff. Is he showing a little bit more power in the last few weeks? And then he told Mazika he wasn't going anywhere. He was no kind of player. He promptly laced a double down the line.
0: Yeah, no, the Mets bats were hot. J.D., sneaky four hits because yeah. he didn't play the rest of the series, which is crazy no. to us. But... It was
1: disappointing because J.D. in this game had four hits, two doubles, two RBIs, two runs scored, four hard-hit balls. It really felt like a guy who had been making very good contact for a very long time now and hadn't gotten the ball to drop was finally kind of...
0: Hitting a stride, and then he didn't play the next two games. Yeah, and I know. I couldn't believe that he wasn't in the lineup. It has to be something that they're getting from the analytics department, right? That can't be a Buck move because surely, if this is Buck, he's keeping JD in the lineup. That feels like a that feels like it would be Buck Show Walter all over it. Probably, but I think it's also the
1: fact that they are just trying to get Dom um, Smith going. Yeah. I don't know. It's part of it. We'll talk about that more in game two. But also, Eduardo Escobar, this was the game where he started to wake up a little bit as well. He had two hits and three hard hit balls. He wound up having a very good series after that. So yep. it looks like Escobar has now gone from his hot streak to his cold streak. And now we're back another Eduardo Escobar hot streak, which are these are just the kind of things that when you see a guy's stats and you don't watch them, like I'm sure... No Mets fans out there really paying close attention to Eduardo Escobar. The
0: Diamondbacks and Twins the last few years. the last few years. So you don't really realize the guy who every year
1: ends with like 85 RBIs, around 30 doubles, and around like a 260 average. He actually just goes month by month where he's on fire and then incompetent. But that's what you get when you watch a guy every day.
0: Yeah, Mets ended up scoring 13 runs. I think, what, every Met that started had a hit in this game. Yep. And, I mean, that's that's how you win. They knocked out Alex Cobb early, yeah. fairly, or fairly early, after he was looking pretty disgusting the first few innings. He is basically the unluckiest
1: pitcher in baseball right now. No one's taking the ball hard off him. He's only given up, I believe, two barrels all year. His ERA is approaching seven. His expected ERA is under two. That's crazy. Alex Cobb, if you guys are in a fancy league out there, I would try and take advantage of a league mate and trade for him. If he's a free agent, I would put him on your team instantly. He has basically the same stats right now that Logan Webb had just a a year ago. And I think there is the possibility of a wicked second half coming from old man Cobb. He is still 35 and super injury prone. So that's a big risk. I wouldn't like sell the farm on, on James's advice to go get Alex Cobb but <laughs> if you can get him
0: very cheaply I would grab him in fantasy because I think there's a massive run coming for Alex Cobb yes and then we also have to give a shout out to Colin Holderman who has just been really really good since yeah, being called up good like stabilizing factor we talk about a b c team bullpen man this guy's this guy's great to have in the c team for sure and he's probably moving
1: up to the b team now because we just pitchers are falling left and right and there's yeah. no even telling who's going to be in the bullpen in a given day
0: yeah so we were feeling really good after that game one because we're like wow we just went to San Francisco and just routed them destroyed yeah. them and then game two It was a different story at the start, especially because they got to Bassett early, and it just feels like they might just have Bassett's number out there, because they've hit him hard twice now. They have hit him hard twice. Bassett gave up eight earned runs in four and a third's innings in
1: this game, and he was probably left out there a little bit too long, because the Mets seemingly knowing that Thomas Sipaki wouldn't, I guess either be the most effective against the Giants, or even if he was effective, would not be able to give the most length. It would be hard anyway for Thomas Abucky to work efficiently against this Giants
0: team. The best case scenario is he goes like four or five innings.
1: Yeah, that was the best case scenario. It turned out that would have been an incredible scenario. It could really, have actually happened. Yeah, but they, used it. they left Bassett out there a little too long in that fifth inning. He, there was a two-out walk he allowed to, I believe it was Darren Ruff on a couple tight pitches. And then Jock Peterson hit what turned out to only be a second home run of the game. Yeah. Which was not even one of the most meaningful at Bassett's entire game. But at the time, it did feel very big. And it put the game to 8-2. To and then Bassett finally came out. But like you said, this second time has happened against the Giants. In 10 and 3 innings against the Giants this year, he's allowed 13 earned runs.
0: Against every other team in baseball, 42 and 2 3 innings pitched, he's allowed just 10. It's crazy. That's ridiculous. Especially because <laughs> of how many pitches... Like, I, the way that the Giants work, and from what you've told me, like, they're platoon heavy... They do swing paths to fit pitchers, and he throws so many different pitches. Yeah. He feels like a guy that they should be like, what do we do against? But seemingly, it's the complete opposite. They have his number. But maybe it's just the fact that Chris Bassett, while he is a very good pitcher, he does a lot of things well, he just
1: doesn't have that elite pitch that you know can get a hither out, so the Giants can kind of, I guess, plan against that, but it's just weird that no other team can. Yeah. There's also not really that statistically relevant because he's only... It happened two starts against the Giants. If he had like four more starts against the Giants of the next few years, he might crush them. Yeah, definitely. It's just something funny to look at when we have these sample size That Chris Bassett's basically two bad starts all year, and both came against
0: the same team. Yeah, within you know a month of each other. Yeah. We do have to give a shout out though to who came in after Chris Bassett, Steven Negosic. I apologize. You've been mean to him. I've been mean to Steven Negosic, and you know what? He well, he wasn't this pitcher. I'm telling you right now. No, he wasn't throwing 97 like he was la- or two nights ago. And he was the slider was working too. Like everything was looking really crisp from Steven Nagosic. Ninety crisp is the word there, because that ninety-seven was just on the
1: line. Yeah. Like that was the quintessential modern reliever fastball where the pitch has no drop whatsoever. And it just comes in like boom, like a BB. Even I was watching the game on Discord with our friend Drew, shout out not the expert on YouTube. He was like, Wow, that pitch is unbelievably straight. Yeah. And I was like, Yeah, it is unbelievably straight. That's like a very enviable fastball in the game. And Negosick, I want to say, almost. Kind of catalyzed the rally that the Mets would have soon after. He just he he didn't make it any worse. He was pretty no. dominant. No four strikeouts in two and thir- two thirds innings. He gave up a few hits and a walk, I think, or two, but no one runs. It was just he kept the game in a spot where you thought it was possible something could happen. Just basically because of the Mets' magic so far this year, and just. Didn't let it get out of hand and maybe even did show us something that he could be a factor in this bullpen or even as a long man, as a spot starter, as a piggybacker during this next month
0: that we'll be trying. All right, James, I got a trivia for you. Okay. Who was Steven Nagosik traded for? Boston Red Sox. He came from the Red Sox. Who did the Mets trade to the Red Sox For Steven Nagosik? Addison Reed. Addison Reed, yeah. I never thought I'd hear that name again. (laughs) He was also, just to talk about him for a little bit, he was so good when he was with the Mets. He was sick. Unheralded reliever
1: of his time. He had good stuff. Those two years at the Mets, 2016-2015, he helped really uh,
0: push the Mets towards two major, major
1: postseason runs. I'll just
0: never forget, if you guys are watching on the YouTube video, after he was done, he would always take his hat And, like, barely wear it on his head and just, like, walk off like he just, like, ran a marathon. Like, he was exhausted. The dude gave it his all. And he was pretty lights out, which was nice to see. Especially
1: that 2016 run.
0: He was actually one of the best relievers in baseball of the second half of that year. Never forget Addison Reed. Addison Reed, for sure. And, hey, thanks for Steven Negosa, because we might have found another bullpen arm here, which is something that if you go on Mets Twitter, you would hear we have no bullpen, we got no arms, the sky is falling. What are we going to do? What are we going to do with this bullpen? It's terrible. We're finding little little pieces here, like Steven Nagosik, little Colin Holderman. By no means are they going to be our high leverage guys. little Jake Reed. Jake, little, J- little Jake Reed. Love a little Jake Reed. A little Don's Medina. little Don's Medina. little Joe Rodriguez. I mean, I know these guys aren't going to be the high leverage dudes, but that's what ends up making a really good bullpen is when the fifth, sixth inning guys, or the sixth, seventh best reliever is actually still a good reliever. Yeah, guess guys how. Relievers are a persecuted class.
1: In the baseball world, and someone has to stick up for them and and defend them. And a guy like Stephen Negosic in this game, when you're down eight to two, and your starting pitcher only gave you not just your starting pitcher, your currently best starting pitcher, your actual ace right now, only gave you four and thirds innings, and he gave eight earned to go two and two thirds and drag this game to the seventh inning on his back. That is monumentally important.
0: I'm sure it did spark this team. What other podcast would just go off about Stephen Negosic being a valuable piece of this know, team? None. <laughs> no other podcast. And like you said, he kind of sparked this comeback because it felt like this team was done. It was 8-2. to two. They chipped back a little bit here and there. Got it to 8-4. to four. Well, that was after Francisco Lindor to run homer. But there was also like a nonsense game before that. Like Keith
1: and Gary were doing yeah. that thing late night where they were just talking about nonsense. I think Keith's brother popped into the booth for a half a second. I, I missed that if he did. It was somebody who was, I think, was in the family. I was on Discord and I was writing some notes for the first pitch podcast I was doing. But there was somebody in the booth who was silent, who was with Keith. And he was wearing Mets stuff. And the woman with him was wearing Giants stuff. I know Keith's family, I believe, does live in Northern California. Bay Area, yeah. yeah. But it was just one of those games where these guys, you know, Gary and Keith get a little wacky late at night in, in blowouts. But Francisco Lindor, like I just said, hit a two-run home run the seventh to make it eight to four. And Gary said out loud, huh, I remember another game where a, a Francisco
0: Lindor home run that seemed benign led to something. And this fucking guy was right. He couldn't have hit the nail on the head any better because that's exactly what seemed to push the Mets forward So things went crazy all of a sudden. McNeil, Escobar, Canna hits. I mean, everything was sneaking through. It's crazy that we found a way to talk about this game for almost 10 full minutes before it even really theoretically started. Well, this is the game of the year. Even though we lose this game, this is the game of the year in Major League Baseball. All of baseball. Without a doubt. 15 runs scored in the final three innings here. 15 runs. And we're going to tell you about them right now. It felt very much like that World Series game between the Astros and the Dodgers, where it was just like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Granted... It wasn't back and forth until the last, no. you know, the last few innings here. This team doesn't die. This team no. does not give up. You even saw it a little bit in Game 3. They were still playing hard. Guys running out ground balls and down 9-1. to one. Jeff McNeil crashing into the walls. Travis Shankasko, the diving catch. Yeah, ca- diving catch.
1: door and a dribbler back to the mound. We're talking about Game 3 because we're not really going to talk about that much at all. But
0: he busted his ass out of the batter's box and a dribbler back to the pitcher. Literally said to you out loud, like, yeah. man, he really busted it on a ball that just... He could, if he jogged, I wouldn't have said a word. I wouldn't no, have cared, no but that's have. things that you notice, and it's definitely on Buck. That's definitely a Buck-Showalter thing. It's definitely these guys want to win games. They're not giving up, and you saw it literally come to fruition again in Game 2 with just— They kind of willed this one, I feel like, a little bit. Every single player chipped in. You
1: kind of need every single player to chip, out, chip in when you get, sent, I think, 12 or 13 men to bat an inning like the Mets did, but— Jeff McNeil, Eduardo Escobar, and Mark Hanna all hit singles. Put Dom Smith up as the tying run in a big spot for a guy who has really needed to show his worth to maybe, maybe even stick on this roster for a little longer. And he hit a squeaker up the middle. Wound up scoring two. Now we had first and third, none out. Luis Guillorme. His soft ground ball, the first, which turned out to be kind of the most disappointing play of the inning, where Mark got caught, like, kind of dancing off third. It was a play where, with nobody out, and there's a ground ball hit to the right side, you're like, all right,
0: I'm, I'm busting on contact, but because it's Luis Guillermo, they're playing in, yeah, and it's kind of, like you said, that, like, no man's land, where you're like, oh, that's such a hard You you either have to go on contact or you have to go back. And he did a little bit of both. Yeah, he danced a little bit. And he kind of just shuffled
1: off the base. Like he took a nice secondary lead, but he got caught kind of like thirty feet away from home and just kind of froze like a deer in the headlights. And even stayed in the rundown long enough to get more men scoring position. So a very rare mental mistake from usually a very good fundamental player Mark Marcanha.
0: But then it didn't even matter. It like sure it didn't. that's that's what's the crazy part is. I feel like you know ever, again, there's a lot of people that are in panic mode. This is like so opposite of what all old Mets teams yeah. have done in the past. Like you watch this game and you, I don't know how you could get in panic mode watching this game. Because to me, this is everything I'm going, guys, this team is really good. This proves this team is really good. The fact you're able to come back from this, this isn't the first time the year of the year either. Cardinals, Phillies, like this is something that the Mets are almost never out of a game really good and really confident and just seem to really believe in themselves.
1: Like, even the situation. Like, we had this rally and it was nice, but someone made a mental error and you're down two runs with men on first and second and one out. That's not a situation where you'd really expect your team to come storming back, especially against a team like the Giants who has a good bullpen, who has a lead, and who has a reliever on the mound, Tyler Rogers. you haven't really been able to get to in two years.
0: No, but it feels like the Mets, I mean, they didn't really hit them well for a little bit. A lot of these hits were yeah. dinks and doinks. Oh, wow, we finally got some of those, which was nice to see. But, you know, Nimmo infield single. Marte smoked one off of Kevin Padlow. Another hard ground ball right off the chest. Because, again... The Giants don't really prioritize corner defense, even in the infield. It's
1: also um it's also the hockey playoffs. Kevin Padlow made a nice, nice save, with save with the pads there. And also Evan Longoria was out of this game with a jam shoulder. Yeah. He's a little bit more of a shorthand at third baseman than Kevin Padlow, who hits the ball pretty hard, Kevin. Does Padlo. hit the ball hard, yeah. Hits the ball hard. He's gonna be that sneaky giant this year. You're gonna look at him in August and be like, How's Kevin Padlow fourteen home runs and two eighty <laughs> batting average? But it's gonna happen. It's going to happen. But that was a big play. Also some hometown scoring. Gave Stalling marte hit on that, not an error. Did they really? Yeah, well, because if you look at the play, Good for Starling. yeah. Keith was talking about it, too, that he actually did support that call because when you're playing on a corner like that and you get that really awkward in-between hop. Basically, I don't remember if it was the second hop or the first hop, but it was basically an unmakeable play unless yeah. you're match happened with Nolan Arenado. Even them, I think, would have struggled with it because the hop came like four feet in front of him and just caromed completely off his chest. Yeah. And he did a good job at actually putting his body in front of it. Like a lot of weaker-willed men would have let that ball whoop. Ole. Whoop, yeah, over the shoulder. That, that, that's a scary ball. And that keeping that ball in the infield... Only allowed the Mets to score one run there, and now we had eight to seven. Still one out, the bases loaded for Francisco Lindor, who. Isn't good, right?
0: No, he's he's really bad. Actually, terrible baseball he's player. He's a bad baseball yeah, player. Yeah, not worth it for the team. Not worth it. Makes it seem worse. I think I you think would I've say heard probably. That, yeah. Right. Yeah. No. Of course we don't think that because we're not fucking idiots. Sorry if you do think that. You just this is the barometer of knowing baseball. I know this is mean to say, but if you think Francisco Lindor is bad, I don't know what else we can tell you. He had a huge series, and he had one of his bigger met moments as well in this game, where he hits the triple down the line. Jock Peterson, who. God, uh, I don't even like mentioning his name right now. He falls basically in triple, and like all of a sudden, you're like 10 to 8. Yeah. We're winning 10 to 8. Francisco Lindor, huge for the Lindor legacy. Fourth, fifth, and sixth RBIs
1: of this game for Francisco Lindor. And it was also kind of funny that at this point, if things would have held, Jack Peterson would have been like he would have undid all of the goodness he had already done in this game. He would have done significantly more later, but. A guy hits two home runs, but then makes a catastrophic misplay in the outfield to allow three runs to score and put a man still on third base with less than two outs. He would have been the guy who probably would have looked himself in the mirror after the game, and be like, I fucked up. I didn't yeah. do, like, this is something I'm disappointed in myself. And it did kind of feel like that for a little while, because even after this, Pete hit an absolute rope. Off. I think this was now Camille Duvall in the game yeah. after Tyler Rogers had given up seven earned runs in a third of an inning, which that felt really good to do that to Tyler Rogers. Yeah, because that
0: guy's thrown 75 miles an hour forever, and we finally hit him one time, which is yeah. nice.
1: But whoever was in center field, I think it was Luis Gonzalez for them, made actually a yeah. very nice snag on a ball that I thought was going down for extra bases as well, keep this rally going. We had eleven to 8 game, and we even still got two more hits after this, and there were two outs, nobody on. McNeil and Escobar each got their second hits of the inning.
0: Yep, and we were feeling great. We were like... Wow. Yeah. Talk about two great comebacks in a year. You're like, how do you... How this, do you through, lo- this would have been three. Yeah. How do you How do you lose this in, in one? In May. That's how we kind of felt now, yeah. is we can't lose this one. And Drew Smith got two quick outs. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, a little single by Mike Mm-hmm. A bad walk to Darren Ruff. With
1: two outs. Second time Darren Ruff drew a two-out walk in this game. That led to a Jock Peterson home run.
0: This is going to be probably the biggest discourse that we have. Uh, yeah. The biggest discussion... It's going to be about Buck Walters' handling of the inning. Because I think he was 100% right. Drew Smith's our guy right now. Drew Smith's been yeah. money all year. And while he has gotten given up the long ball a little bit recently, there is literally no reason that he should be facing Jock Peterson. Zero. I don't care if Drew Smith is clicking on all cylinders. He's not Edwin Diaz one. He's not. And even then, Edwin Diaz, I, I don't know. I don't know. It depends on the situation. Especially if he just gave up a hit and walked the guy. You probably still need to go to Joe Ellie there. Because that's why we haven't, and especially with Brandon Crawford up next, I, I don't know how Joe Ellie's not the guy. And I know Buck after the game said, Drew Smith's our guy. He's been good. I wanted to go with our who we thought was best in that situation, or we who we think is the better, better pitcher. But the matchup's just wrong. Didn't he also say something like, I wanted him to get through it? Yeah.
1: So that's kind of like, that is back to this old baseball adage where like we got to make sure our guy feels like the glory of getting out of this inning. But... Why you even make a trade at the end of the offseason and to get an extra lefty on this roster when you're not gonna put him in a situation where you have a fearsome lefty hitter at the plate who's already has two home runs in the game and your pitcher on the mound just giving up two base runners. And also on top of that, Buck did mention that he didn't want to bring in Joelli for jock because then the Giants with a pinch hit Evan Longoria next. But with that, there were two outs in the inning. If you think and you get if you get the hitter out who's at the plate, that's not even an issue at all. And you have to assume if you're making a pitching change, you're going to do it to get the hitter at the plate out. And even more on top of that, Evan Longoria didn't start this game. So There wasn't, and it was reported he had a jammed shoulder, and they were actually considering an IL stint for him. So that turned out to be patently false. He hit two home runs
0: in Game Three. Yeah. But as much information as the Mets had, you almost would have been surprised if that happened. It just it, and this, it's, it's also a 35 year old Evan Longoria. Again, I know he hit the two home yeah. runs the next game against a lefty. Against a lefty, but joelly we know doesn't really give up that much hard contact either i just to me you gotta get jock peterson you gotta give him you can't give him an advantage because that's what they did the mets instead of choosing to give evan longoria an advantage chose to give jock peterson an advantage and to me that's backwards especially because brandon crawford's next so it doesn't why not give him that extra guy to pitch to i don't get it also i even think you're going into us a,
1: a little too deeply like probably yeah because one of the hitters is at the plate and one of them is in the dugout. Yes. So the only one you should care about at all in this exact moment is the guy hitting who already has two home runs and represents the tying run.
0: It's like trying to play chess when you should be playing checkers. Like
1: Theoretically, yeah, Buck hilariously kind of underthought it while overthought it at the exact same time. Buck's done a great job with this team. This team has made a lot of advancements this season. I think you have to attribute a lot of it For to sure. Buck Showalter. But this bullpen stuff with Buck is something that we were worried about previously and has shown to still be an issue this year and something that. I hope, gets figured out. Yeah. Because there's just no reason that you're left-handed. I'm not going to call him a left-handed specialist because he gets righties out. Yeah. But you're, I would say, best left-handed reliever who has been hot. Who's
0: brought in for these exact scenarios. This exact thing.
1: Like, if this was Juan Soto, don't you think they would have brought Joely
0: in? You have to. Right? But but it, but it the way that he was describing it, it seemed like it didn't matter who was up to the plate. It this was going also to be like the
1: Smith. This is also the exact situation where, where this was Juan Soto like three weeks ago and they did bring Joelian in. In a... There was a man on first, and that's winning by either two or one run in the seventh or eighth inning of a game against the Nationals. And they brought him in with two outs just to get Juan Soto when he got it out and handed the ball right to Edmund Diaz.
0: It was not good baseball from a process standpoint. We're going to bring back process here. Yeah, it was bad it, process. It was a bad process. Like, I want to see Drew Smith get through
1: it. I want to see Drew Smith get through it too. Drew Smith is one of our favorite players in the Messed Up podcast, even through his struggles so far with the home run ball. But
0: it's just who gives you the best chance to get this out in this situation? Especially, especially when Jock is scalding hot. On that night, you've seen him hit two home runs already, off righties, off righties with ease. I just, I there's no world where it makes sense to me. It doesn't. I can't. It doesn't compute. I don't understand it. And I really, really hope this isn't a trend because that's a bad trend.
1: Yeah. Also, because right after this home run, joelly did come in the game. Yeah. Which almost at that point seemed like what? Why? Yeah. And then he did get into trouble almost with no fault of his own because joelly just seems like maybe he has an arm slot that gets squeezed. He was throwing strikes left and right. And the he home, home plate umpire, Roberto Ortiz, who had an awful game. Yeah. One of the worst games of an umpire this season, especially not in terms of actual missed calls, but in terms of the expected run value he gave to another team. Did you see the umpire report? No, I didn't see it. It was like plus 1.7 to the Giants. Oh my God, jeez! Yeah. But he, three men immediately got on base with a walk and a couple soft singles, if I yeah. remember correctly. And Adam Alavino had to get a big strikeout to end the inning. So that also changed the course of what wound up happening in the next inning, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, to where... Now, this top of the Giants order
0: is going to come up again. I literally tweeted out when I saw Jock come up to the plate in the ninth. I go, how is he up again? How is he at the plate again? This, this shouldn't have happened. Yeah, but at this point, the Mets
1: dig it out of the inning in a tie game. And Dom Smith, who had a very good game, probably his best game of the whole year, even better than that four-hit game against the Phillies. This Definitely, was, yeah. I think, another four-hit game, or at least a three-hit game. I think but three, yeah. Four hard-hit balls for Dom. Best one of the night was a triple that he laced deep into the San Francisco night, to triples alley, to put himself on third base with nobody out. Pat Mazzica hit a little doinker. Tried the playbook of 2021. Didn't work out this time. But Brandon Nimmo clutched up with two-strike pitch, hit a nice sacrifice fly where Jack Peterson made a really good throw. A Herculean throw. Really On good. a ball that he didn't even seem to have a great handle of, and he didn't really do the proper, like, get behind a crow hop thing. He put the ball on a line to the catcher. You want to know why? Because he
0: just hit his fucking third home run of the night. It was high, high off adrenaline. I mean, yeah. if you just hit your third home run of the night, you could probably throw the ball that far, too. Probably, yeah. Three home runs ever, I could probably throw the ball like that. But now we're in a situation where you have
1: another lead. After Drew Smith just gave it up, and you got into more trouble and felt like you weren't even going to escape that eighth with a chance to win the game. You had it again, and all you needed was Edwin
0: Diaz to pitch like he has all year and get out of an inning. And Wilmer jumped on that first pitch fastball, yeah. smoked it up the middle, but then we got a sick, sick double play in the hole from Jeff McNeil, mm-hmm. turns it with Lindor. I got out Tommy Lastella, I believe, who is yeah, just not insanely running. slow. He's a no. slow human being. Well, he has an Achilles thing right now, oh, okay. so he's capable of hitting and moving laterally and guess a
1: little bit playing defense somewhat regularly, but he can't really run at full speed gotcha okay yes. that
0: makes sense but he's crushing the ball he is crushing the ball yes that's time new jersey guy shout out to new jersey but yeah nice double play yeah and even edwin at the time i think we probably both felt this way. Oh, the game's in the bag that that too. just got he turned
1: said it after the game yeah that's what i felt
0: like it was over and i think that might have been why you saw a little bit of a lapse there yeah because there was a two-out walk to yes it's kind of something that we talked about too remember when we're like the, the wind kind of gets sucked out of him at times and i've even said this going back now Diaz needs those trumpets. He needs to be in that world baseball classic mode where he's amped because it seems like if there's ever a time where there's maybe not maybe not as much pressure, I don't even know what the, the there's, terminology is. It's almost
1: like an analogy that people use for hitters more often where it's like you can't think about anything. Yeah. You have to clear your mind and just get out of it. Edwin, it seems like he does clear his mind when the pressure is hot and when it's really on, but now that he gave himself a second to
0: breathe, he almost like thought too much and he just yeah. stopped being able to place his fastball. Yes, I, I bet you you probably go back and probably see him go like this. And it's almost like that deep breath is what made no. him lose focus. Like, cause he, he should hold his breath. Yeah, he, sh- he should not be allowed to take a breath until he gets the final out of the game. No, we're not
1: going to say not allowed because that's becoming like his torture territory.
0: Oh, but Diaz should at
1: least like make sure himself stays hot because he gave out a two-out walk to Yaz, which... You hate to give a team a two-out walk when you have them dead and buried. Yep. Darren Ruff hit a little single right through the hole, right through the hole, and now you have Jack Peterson back to the plate. The man on fire, hit his sixth hard-hit ball of the game, only the fourth player ever to do that in the Statcast era, the first to do it this season. Hit one right back up the box, base hit, tied the game, and then immediately, immediately, Brandon Crawford put one through the hole. And the game was over.
0: Yeah, it was over. Uh, Of course, Brandon Crawford coming back, both of them, coming back to haunt us badly in this game, too. There was some talk about maybe intentionally walking jock, which I definitely don't agree with that. Because in a situation where you're winning by one run, and there's runners on first and second... You don't want to move a guy or 90 feet closer.
1: Also, you just can't put the
0: winning run in scoring position. Because if Brandon Crawford hit that single, you still would have lost. Same thing would have happened. Yeah, so I mean... There was some talk there about should you have walked him, should you have done a shift, like should you have just played straight up, whatever it was. I think it, I think the game really does come down to that Joely decision, which sucks because I hate making small decisions because there were other things that happened. We did get the lead and we did blow it again. Comes out down to that Joely decision, but also comes down to three two out walks
1: given up by Mets pitchers between Chris Bassett before the second Jack Peterson home run. Drew Smith before the single that ended up leading to the third the third Jack Peterson home run. And then Edwin Diaz giving the Giants life when they were dead and buried. Yeah. Three two-out walks that all led to Giants' runs. Even those
0: last two rallies by the Giants in the eighth and ninth thing were all started with two outs and nobody on base. And you know what's still crazy about this? We almost won this game. Twice. We almost won this game. Imagine going into a game and saying, Chris Bassett's going to get shelled. Drew Smith's going to get shelled, and Edwin Diaz is going to get shelled, and you almost win.
1: I also think that if this game did go to extra innings, we still had Seth Lugo in the wings, and the Giants had early burned Rogers and Camilo Duvall. I think they still had Dominic Leone, though. I think so, because
0: they pitched Brebbia, I think, in the ninth. Yeah, but I'll take Seth Lugo over... Um, Dominic Leone? Yeah, yeah, Leone. All day, all day. It sucks. That game was disappointing. Painful. But I wasn't mad by any means, because they turned a game that they should have gotten you know, the doors being off of them into a game that they almost won yeah i wasn't mad at all i was just kind of like tired after it like that was an intense baseball game to be a part of yeah i was like damn i stay up till 2 a.m for this like, yeah literally
1: like, like i usually stay up that late on tuesdays anyway because i record the first pitch podcast but i was just like how can
0: i even talk about other baseball games right now yeah no it was, it was very very tiring and then you could kind of almost see that it maybe played into game three a little bit too quick turnaround the next day Yeah, hang Mets over. came out a little bit flat but it also didn't help that Thomas Zapucky just got shelled. I mean, it was a poop fest, which I'm, yeah. we're saying poop fest a little bit too much for my liking now. Once a
1: series. Yeah, once a it series. happens once a series. People Wait. are using it
0: on Twitter, which I love. Really? Yeah, oh. I got a couple of poop fest uh, DMs and mentions to that. Hell yeah. Poop, it was a poop fest. Poop fest. It was uh, Zepocky. Probably just a reliever, really, if we're going to be honest. If
1: nothing else, I mean, maybe it's just the team like the Giants, especially during the day when it's hot and the wind is blowing out. It's not the best for a guy like Thomas Apucky. His fastball did look okay, though. When he they hit 97, right? Hit 97. The slider looks like it moves plenty. But big I mean, curveball. That's his yeah. big pitch. There were a lot of people, though, who, honestly, myself, us included, who thought that he probably wouldn't even make it through the 40-man roster crunch of the offseason. The yeah. fact that he did means they probably have something, and his results in AAA this year were objectively good. Maybe next week against the Nationals, we're gonna see Thomas Sapucky actually get guys out and pitch that, more
0: than two innings. That'd be the perfect scenario for yeah. him. Like pitch against a lineup that's not horrendous. And their best hitter is a lefty. Yes, and their best hitter is a lefty. Oh man, I still just don't want to see Juan Soto hit against Thomas Sapucky. But like I feel bad for the guy. He's made two appearances for the Mets and he's gotten shelled I think both
1: fifteen times. earned runs total in less than four innings.
0: Yeah. I mean it it just wasn't good it right from the jump. I mean, the Mets were down in a massive hole again. And I can't blame them for not getting this one back. No, for sure. And also because we faced Jake Junis, who I told you guys about last week, who is just becoming
1: one of the most annoying pitchers to face in all of baseball. He almost, like I said, threw the Mets no fastballs Throws junk. yesterday. He throws absolute junk, and it worked. It worked. No, and you know what else he does? He keeps the ball on the ground. And yeah. the day when the wind was blowing out, and it seemed like they had one of those jumpy baseballs
0: in play here, at least the Humidor made it that way, possibly. Mets couldn't even lift the ball off of him. Some positives, though. Lindor. Still, Still good. good. Still good. Got another home run in this one. so And a double. Yeah, all the Lindorks will probably tell you, well, the game, it was out of reach. The game didn't matter. Blah. Like uh, Enough, enough. The stats at the end of the year are the stats at the end of the year for a reason. You're going to go through every at-bat and talk about the uh, severity or importance of every single swing the guy takes. Like, give me a break. It's baseball, guys. Francisco Lindor, hopefully, is going to have at
1: least 600 of these plate appearances by the time it's all said and done. And like I mentioned before with Escobar, you see guys' end-of-year stats, and you'll look up his baseball reference or his fangraph page when you acquire them, and you're like, oh, this is what I will expect. But you don't watch these guys day in and day out. You don't know who's streaking who isn't. You don't know if Francisco Lindor had a month in 2018 when he was an MVP candidate where he hit 180. You don't know. It's just impossible to tell. We don't watch these guys as intently when they're on other teams as we do with the Mets, as obviously as we could say it. And now, I did the last episode. I'm going to do it again. Since Francisco Lindor struck out, with two men on against Giovanni Gallegos to lose a game, in the second game of a double last week. He has a 355, 435, 590 slash. Pretty good. Pretty good. Bad sample, but I mean, hey, over a week, 355 batting average for all the batting average heads out there. The Lindorks will give you bad samples all the time, so of we'll, course, play, we'll yeah. play the
0: same game as them.
1: Good sample back. Two home runs, two doubles, a triple, 190 WRC plus. All of those stats are, that's an incredible week by any standard as a baseball player ever. That's well, all. You do that for your whole career, a Hall of Famer. Yeah, what are the uh, stats up to on the year now? Up to the year, Francisco Lindor is now a 250 hitter with 780 OPS, which are each significantly higher than league average. I'm sure some people even still see that 250 batting average and think it's 2007. That's not good, but for sure. The league-wide batting average is like 233 right now, so Francisco Lindor is getting more base hits than the average hitter in baseball. Sure, that's not a barometer because Francisco Lindor makes $34 million, and you want to get more base hits significantly more than than the average hitter of baseball, but... For Francisco Lindor, the player is right now, I don't think a 250 average is nothing to sneeze at. And he's a good baseball player. It's crazy that people are trying to still tear this guy down because he makes money. Yeah. I think that's the big reason why. Jealousy. Yeah, I guess so, Andres Jimenez and Ahmed Rosario are such world beaters in Cleveland. Yeah. Jimenez is having a very good year.
0: But you can't even compare the impact that these guys have. You know, Jimenez is having a good year. How many games of Jimenez have we watched? The same thing. It's yeah. the same conversations before as you were saying. Like, If you tell me that you've watched more than, honestly, 10 Cleveland Guardian games in your life, not counting the postseason, you're a liar. You're a liar or you're a Cleveland Guardians fan. Or you have multiple TVs and you play a lot of fancy baseball. Yeah. And even then, I just don't think they're probably your number one go-to late night game. Let me see what the Cleveland Guardians are up to. AL Central is just not really, not that much of exciting baseball. No. And this game, like we said, it was a poop fest. Not going to talk too much more about it. That's no. pretty much it. Disappointing to lose the series, especially when we could have won it the night before. Yeah, and then to kind of just get shelled, it all the games were weirdly like not close, except yeah. for game two, which was again game of the year probably. And we also objectively were that like, pitching disadvantage in all three of these
1: games, and the fact that we even won one convincingly and should have won two like that. I'm not gonna say I'm like happy about that because you still lost a series, but the fact that the Mets were able to battle against a team who is good and who had a better pitcher on the mound in all three games like that is something. There's no reason to panic right out This Mets team. I'm not saying that there's a chance that June gets ugly. It could. Thomas Puck, he's going to pitch start more games. I know a lot of people on Twitter were completely done with him after the game. Maybe some of you guys are right in saying that, but this team's going to keep grinding, and at least at worst-case scenario, you have a very good lineup and a team that does not quit. I think the best way to sum up where the Mets are at right now is that there are problems with this team and problems with this roster, but they're not something that we should exactly be worried about yeah. because it's not really anything that we hope is actually long-term. Just the fact that this Mets team is missing pitchers right now is rearing its ugly head and turning a lot of these games into ones that should be closer and to some that will get away from you. And that's just a function. If we used to be a fan of a bad Mets team, when you have a bad team, you're not going to have good pitchers. You're going two or three guys out there a week who you're like, I hope something good happens. Yeah. So that's kind of it. And also on the other side of that, Tyler McGill started throwing the other day. He played catch. He felt well. He's due for a bullpen session soon. And Jacob deGrom... Shout out Jesse Finver, Westfield High School graduate. He was taking a stadium tour, yeah, and he saw a lanky right-hander in the outfield playing catch smiling, and it was Jacob DeGrom. He was throwing, so maybe we could even have a bullpen session for him soon after his next round of
0: imaging. The pitching's coming. The pitching's coming. It's about getting through this time right now and just kind of, I don't want to say staying afloat, because that's, that's, I think, too low of expectations. But continue to play good baseball. Grinding. Grinding. Keep grinding. Oh, yeah, I like grinding. That's a good one. He's got to grind. Got to grind it out. Bill Belichick says the best. No days off. No days off. Sorry, Jet fans. I'm sure you absolutely hate that. James yeah, included. Fuck Bill Belichick. He's, greatest coach of all time. He's but. the greatest coach of all time, but I just hate him. <laughs> yeah, as, as, a, as a Commanders fan, there is no animosity to Bill Belichick.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I do know for sure that Bill Belichick does not like commies. Definitely does not like No, enemies. big fan of United States history. War
0: <laughs> buff. All right, we got off topic.
1: Let's... I mean, a little bit, but here, this, 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 this is what we got to do right now. This Mets team has to grind. They yeah. got to stick with it. Every single guy who do their part every single day. Guys like Steven Nugosek are going to have to pull good outings out of their ass. we are going to see Adonis Medina have to do crazy things. David Peterson has to continue to be the league average. We need Lank from Taiwan. We need Lank from Chris Bassett. We need Lank from Carlos Carrasco. Everybody
0: has to play a little bit better right now and band together and wait for the reinforcements to come back. Just remember... This time last year, we were playing with a double-A team. Literally. Who was the three-hitter a year ago? You guys know who was hitting third? This time last year. This day. I'll, I'll, I'll give you 100 guesses. The day of the time of recording, not yes. the day you guys are listening. Which would be May 25th. It's Brandon Drury, who's having a great year out in Cincinnati yeah. for, you know. He's been really cold the last few weeks, too. Okay. Which means he's going to get really hot over the next few weeks. I just said he's cold. <laughs> yeah, of course. But Brandon Drury was hitting third. Jonathan VR was leading off. You know who hit fourth this game? James McCann. What position did he play? First. <laughs> oh my God. We're looking at it right now while we're talking. You saw, I, I literally didn't even see how I played first. Tomas Nino was in sixth. We just named Dominic Smith was in left field. We just, yeah, we just named our guaranteed nine hitters hitting fourth and sixth in the same lineup. <laughs> like this team has been in way, way worse. Scenarios. This team is way better than we've seen in the past. Everyone needs to take a deep breath, relax. We weren't going to win every series Every single year. You know what I will tell you? We beat the Giants in a season series. That right there is a huge barometer for the Mets' success. That's a W. We got one game up on the Giants, which is huge. A team that we could be competing for with a playoff spot. At the end of the year, this was a team that surprised everyone last year and won the National League West in pretty dominant fashion. They won, what, like 106 games or whatever it was? They also won division by one game. I know, but still, winning 106 games is... No, but that's not dominant fashion. You're only one game better than the team in second. Uh, you win 106, you're <laughs> dominant, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, but they were dominant as a team. They weren't dominant in the division. Fight, fine, semantics, <laughs> yeah, whatever for it is. Sure. I guess for a podcast, I should probably be better on the, the bust worst. bust their ass in September to win yeah. that division against the... But, them, like, f- f- furiously charging Dodgers. For us to take a season series from them... As a whole, spin zone, I don't care. I'm happy. I'm okay. Especially when you have to face this team this series. I'll say it again. Three games in a row, you're at a pitching disadvantage. Yep. Three they, games in a row. And they really, really should have won two of them. For sure. Now, we haven't done a prospect report in a few weeks. Yeah. Just, About a week. Uh, yeah, we do, yeah, we do it every half. week. Week yeah. and a half, week, whatever it is. Let's go ahead and uh, kind of give you guys a little prospect report here. Starting off with Mark Vientos. Triple-A might be the closest hitter we have to maybe having an impact at the major league level. certainly
1: the closest hitter we have to making an
0: impact. And while he started the year off slow, he's scalding hot right now. Yeah. Mark Vientos, uh, pointed
1: out by Christopher Soto on Twitter, at SotoC803. He, I think it's just a member of... Mets Twitter. He yeah. just seems like a very, a very thoughtful, engaged, and knowledgeable fan. He pointed out that Mark Vientos has notoriously been a slow starter in every minor league season he's ever been in. In 2018, he had a 258 average in April and 762 OPS. 2019, .227 average, 617 OPS. 2021, last year when he went ballistically hot, 231 averages, 689 OPS. This year, 2022 in April, 164 average, 569 OPS, which is by far the worst in that list, but also against by far the best competition Vientos ever played against, and now he has spun it around again in May to be very hot. He has a 290, 400, 600 slash so far this month with it ending next week, a 170 WRC plus, and five home runs as of recording of this. We already hit one today, so well, he might hit another one.
0: Yeah, he might He might hit another one. He's still striking out a bit, yeah. but that's that's Mark Vientos. That's mm-hmm. the player he's going to be, but the fact that he's been able to turn around offensively is huge, because that's, I mean, he's a guy I would like to see at some point maybe in Queens this year. There's a good chance he do. I mean,
1: Mark Vientos, though, is just still extraneous to J.D. Davis as a guy who hits, but just doesn't have a defensive home. Like There were a couple Mets fans who were talking on Twitter. Someone mentioned me personally who said, um, could Mark Vientos wind up taking Dom Smith's spot on the roster? And I honestly don't even think that's possible. No, it would be J.D.'s. He'd be taking J.D.'s spot, and J.D. is just Better hitter right now than Mark Vientos is because if you lose, then you have two guys in your bench who just can't play any positions. We're
0: back to the Cano Dom Smith thing again. You
1: might as well just bring up Daniel Palka at this point because he's probably a better I think he has 10 home runs already in AAA. Yeah,
0: no, dude, smoking the ball. Yeah,
1: as he always does. Also, and- just sticking with the AAA roster for a second before we keep delving in, the Mets traded for Daniel Johnson of the Guardians yesterday. Johnson is a bit of an interesting one of those quadruple A players. He's a very good athlete. He has good play discipline. He has like a little bit of power. It's not much, but it's also not none. He's someone who. I think could wind up being good depth for this team as the summer goes along.
0: We've always talked about, hey, let's let's get some 4A get players. And yeah. Daniel Johnson feels like he could be. Now the big names you guys want to hear about, Beatty, Alvarez, double A. Uh, not playing they're not great. They're young. I mean, well, Beatty's not, but for he's twenty two. I think so. Beatty is still objectively. Young ish for the
1: level okay. or about average for it. Alvarez is definitely young for the Alvarez age. is 20 years old. He's very young for the level, but neither of them are really hitting the ball well right now. But also, we have to remember that development is not linear. There's not something that's going to be like, you know, it'll be the show where you just see overalls go up <laughs> and yeah. up and up and up and just, oh, now he's a 90. We're, we made it. That's not how it works in real baseball. Brett Bailey has been struggling more so in May than April. He's a 30% strikeout rate since the month began, just two home runs. He is walking 16% of the time, though, and has WRC plus over 100. So even when he's not performing in the conventional way he's still finding ways to help his team at the plate which i think is meaningful for development alvarez just has a 100 wrc plus in the season so as one of the youngest players at the level he is league average exactly and 28 strikeout rate which we said before there was a chance that he could have gotten nuclear this year and made it to the show it's just not happening but that just means that he is a regular really good prospect instead of a generational one which is okay that's fine. It's really okay. There's not that many generational prospects. doesn't happen that often. That's why you use the term generational. Yeah,
0: And again, generational too. doesn't mean he can't be an all-star. doesn't mean he can't be one of the best hitting catchers in the league. 100%. He could yeah. also
1: still could develop in generational way after this bad two months that he's had.
0: It's only yeah. been two months. So he's still so young. He's still so talented. We've seen him in person. He's an absolute freak. One of the youngest players at the level. It's not the youngest. Yeah, whatever it is. Now, no worries about either of these guys, but just figured we, we'd touch base for you. And then, of course, Ronnie Mauricio, the other big-name prospect. Still hitting for power, Yeah, but still doing the Ronnie Mauricio thing. Striking out a lot, not walking. Nope. Six
1: home runs already in the minor league season, but he's running almost 30% strikeout rate and less than a 5% walk rate, which... That was always the book with Mauricio. So that skill still has not developed. Just still
0: kind of been the exact same player that he has been for the last few years. And then we got some promotions, right? A couple yeah. guys from low A to high A out in Brooklyn. So we could maybe go take a look at them in person. Yeah, probably should soon, honestly. I'd like to get a Coney Island brew. Yeah, right? It was was fun days last year. But two pitchers who the Mets drafted each
1: of them last year, correct? Yeah, I believe so. Mike Vassell definitely was. I'm not sure about Seymour. Mike Vassell was an eighth-round pick by the Mets last year. He had given up just one earned run in his last 24 innings for St. Lucie with 27 strikeouts and six walks to boot. Guy has a very big fastball. One of those late round pitchers that
0: the Mets got last year with the uh, their eyes set on proximity. He was a college guy, correct? Yeah, college guy out of Virginia. One of the better pitchers in the country, I think. If he I was remember a, correctly, he had like a big freshman year and then lulled after. Yeah, I believe he was an older draft pick. That's yeah. also why he fell a little bit. And like none of his stuff was like ninety eight miles an hour. Or I think his like fastball that.
1: has like very good like specs, like yes. good spin
0: rate, good extension, stuff like that. Which is again why the we talk about the Mets being smart. Now we're yeah, starting to get smart. Point seventy two, all about that, but. These are things that hopefully the Mets can continue to capitalize on. Making an eighth-round pick have value is huge. And next we have Carson Seymour, who was a Mets' sixth-round pick last year. So two
1: college pitchers who were taken after the rounds that you really expect, relatively fast risers in the MLB draft, both jumped a level in less than two months. Carson Seymour's name on Twitter I wanted to mention, Cheese Chuck. thought that was kind of funny. I like that. So that's like a little double entendre because I feel like a nickname for Carson could be Chuck. And also, Chuck throws Chad. He's got a big fastball as well. Also, that nice high release point. It seems like the Mets are covering now. 22% strikeout rate in low A, and they only given up four earned runs in 30 innings. He's another guy, again, mentioned before, college experience. Full fact about Carson Seaboard.
0: Dude started off at Dartmouth, and sure. then went to K-State, which is a... Big super, change. super big change. Very different. <laughs> Ivy League to K State. I don't know if we got any K State fans or K State alumni. Manhattan, out there. Kansas. The first, is a good place to hang out, though. Really? Yeah, for it's a fun campus. I just there's probably a zero percent chance I'm ever in Kansas. I'm sorry. Good football environment too. Good, good bar. Well, Kansas City barbecue, but that what side is it on? I don't think Manhattan—I I don't know. I have not, I've been to Kansas once. I just simply drove through it as fast as I could. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. I'll probably, I'll probably never be in Kansas. But these guys, like you said, have been performing well. Glad to see they got a promotion. Mets promoted a couple other guys, cut some dudes. Like, I saw one name was Antoine Duplantis, who had been hanging around the Brooklyn Cyclones the last few years, ended up getting cut. It's the way of the land. It's kind yeah. of how it goes. If you don't perform, you get on the chopping block. Sad mm-hmm. to see, but there are some guys in this Mets farm system that are getting promoted, and we like that. And also, very nice at the Mets draft last year that a lot of people harped
1: on because they lost their first-round pitcher. They now seem like they've had four pitchers drafted after the first round who all look like they have a shot to make it. Which is nice.
0: Yeah, Really nice. Ziegler and Hamill especially look yes. really, really good.
1: Ziegler looks like he could be a potential star. A little younger than these guys and smaller. Yeah. A little less experienced, so he's going to take a little more time down there in the uh, Florida State League, but... Encouraging to see it. The Mets have found, at least, like, you have four of these guys moving, one of them gets there, you, you won.
0: Yeah, oh, it Huge worked. win. Yeah, huge win. And now let's wrap it up here. Talk about the Phillies preview. We got a three game series, including a Sunday night baseball game, which I will be at. I don't know about you, but I don't think I'll be there. Maybe yeah. Saturday. I'm thinking about it, but okay. I got a I got a cousin's wedding. Shout out to my cousin Anna, who's getting married. We'll give her a little shout out on the podcast. Big Greek name, big Greek name. Anna. Yeah, it's, it's spelled like Anna, but it's pronounced Anna. Of course, of I course. know, I know one. And the Phillies have been playing some interesting baseball. They do this thing now where the bullpen's. I mean, really, really bad. The bullpen yeah, has been struggle bussing hard and mismanaged for sure. Well, yeah, I mean Joe Girardi by no means is the smartest manager in baseball. Or can Pitched the ninth inning for the Phillies on
1: Monday against the Braves. They were either winning six to one or six to two, so non save situation. Pitched a very clean ninth inning. And on Tuesday night, Joe Girardi tried to stretch out Nick Nelson for a six out save yeah. for some reason. I don't know why you ever want Nick Nelson to get six outs, especially when those six outs are coming in the eighth and ninth innings against a division rival with a good lineup. Of course, fell apart right in his face, but mismanagement there, and we're happy to still be able to count on that from Girardi.
0: Yeah, and Harper's back now after getting the injection. He's not playing the the outfield. He still hasn't played the outfield in the full month. But he's still swinging, and he's still sick. He's one of the best hitters in baseball. So I, get, good. I want to ask Mets fans this series
1: something I'm very passionate about. Please don't chant that Bryce Harper is overrated. Because please. if anything else, Bryce Harper, I would say, is significantly underrated in the baseball landscape. He's literally one of the best players of this generation. Almost at this point, a surefire Hall of Famer. If he yeah. continues at least at eighty percent of this pace for the next five years, even the length of this Phillies contract, he is so good, and he seems to really feed off that negative energy. So please, Mets fans, if you listen to the messed up podcast, do not chant overrated that Bryce
0: Harper. Booze. Booze are cool. Booze are Booze fine. Booze are great. You suck. No like chance. That. No chance. You can't go overrated. There's too many times i we've seen clips on Twitter where Bryce Harper's being called overrated and the next at bat hits a nuke. And I don't want that. We want Bryce Harper to hit no nukes. We want no home runs for Bryce Harper. It's really, really good. It's going to be tough anyway, but don't give him extra fuel for the fire. No. And also
1: it seems like he has really taken to this DH role because he is very good hitting there. Like I'm, as goes he always has
0: been. It's just I'm, a shame that the rest of this Phillies roster is just not equipped to handle him there. Imagine giving one of the best hitters in baseball saying, hey, just just worry about hitting now. You don't even have to play the field. Just hit. Imagine how much better he gets. I mean, we've especially seen it. a disciplined Mormon. I know he's great. Yeah, he's always focusing on his baseball right now. Amazing. But are the pitching matchups? Pitching matchups. Friday night we got Carlos Carrasco versus Zach
1: Eflin. Okay. Saturday night, three night games a series, all seven o'clock starts, which good and bad. I and guess I, the holiday. And weekend. I think
0: we only have one on SNY, which is Friday night. I yes, think Saturday is true. night is Saturday Fox. Fox and then
1: ESPN. Yeah, but Friday night Carrasco versus Eflin. Saturday. Walker and Zach Wheeler, which Zach Wheeler, if you guys haven't been paying attention, is back to being Zach Wheeler. Is he? Throat, yeah, last two starts have been really good. I thought he got hit in Atlanta. No, he pitched dominant. Ten, oh, okay. ten strikeouts. I think like eight base hits, but ten strikeouts and like no walks in seven innings. It's singles, right? That's why. Uh, singles, yeah. singles. Yeah. But Zach Wheeler's incredible, so we're going to have to deal with that. And then Sunday, we don't have a pitcher listed right now. That is, I guess Chris Bassett's day? or no, Peterson's, Peterson? I Peterson. Yeah. yeah, I guess that'll be Peterson. He's not on ESPN website, but I'm assuming that's going to be David Peterson against Kyle Gibson. Which if David Peterson pitched like he has... That's fine. I mean, it's going to be the
0: third time the Phillies have seen him this year, though, correct? Yeah, I believe so. so Yes, That's that's
1: a little bit worrisome. Phillies also have a left-handed heavy lineup.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, the Phillies have been hot and cold, I think, this year. I think that's the best way to describe them. That's
1: kind of the way they even built this roster to begin with, and there's not that much we can actually even break down about the Phillies, because this will be the 10th, 11th, and 12th times we've seen them already this year, before June 1st, which is shocking. And... As they're getting hot, pretty great for us Mets fans. We're not seeing them until August 12th.
0: Yeah, which We're is great. going more
1: than two months now without playing the
0: Philadelphia Phillies, which is hysterical. And it would be so sick if we could end this little streak of playing them with, with a nice series win. Yes. I want to get crazy. I want a sweep. I really would. A sweep would make me feel just oodles and, and oodles of great.
1: If Tom and Walker could beat Zach Wheeler, anything's on the table.
0: Yes. We're talking World Series. And we also know the Phillies bullpen. Anything's
1: on the table. Exactly. Just get Zach Wheeler out of the game after the sixth inning. See a lot of pitches early. Put the ball in play consistently. You might have a shot here. but and the Mets have been swinging the bat well. I yeah, know I know, well. Game 3 didn't score a lot, but that was expected. Well, the Phillies mentioned last week, I don't know if they were right or wrong about this, but that there's different balls in the East Coast versus the West Coast, hmm. which is kind of funny. I really think it's just the, the different way the balls are reacting to the humidors because the West Coast is a little bit warmer so far in the East Coast, and San Francisco is a little bit more wet. I'm also not a scientist or yeah. like a researcher. I guess I technically am a research analyst.
0: Send it to the aerospace person, whatever it is. Send baseballs to us. Yeah,
1: Marilyn Wallace. Meredith. Meredith. <laughs> But also, it's just getting hot anyway, so it seems like the ball's going to start flying more. It should be... It's not going to be like a great Memorial Day weekend, but if we're doing weather now in the messed up podcast, yes. it should be at least decent. It should be decent.
0: And hopefully, the Mets can win this series. They should. The Mets are a better team. I hope so. But the Phillies are playing well. They have a good lineup, and they have some pitching in the series. We gotta, we're got the yin and yang. You give the Phillies a lot more credit, probably, than they deserve, and I give them almost zero credit. Also, they're doing a new thing now. Reese Hoskins leads off, which is pretty funny. That's, like, smart. It is objectively smart. He's good on base
1: percentage, guy. They go Hoskins, Boehm, Harper. It's a pretty decent one, two, three. It's pretty good, and also it's good against the Mets because they keep Gene Segura and Kyle Schwarber lower in the lineup, so less that, that bats the series. That is great. That's good. Where's Casiano sitting now? Fourth. Yeah, I think behind Harper, and they they drop Real Muto down to like six or seven most days. Uh, no comment. None. No comment about. I'm just t- Ra- I'm just telling you where guys hit. Yeah, I have no I, said, I have no opinion on Real Muto. <laughs> I said I like the fact that they moved Gene Segura and Kyle Schwarber two notorious Mets killers down the lineup because based on math they're gonna probably get less at bats yes that's good i'm not i'm not making any distinctions or clarifications about any of these players no obviously mm-hmm.
0: not no the never. only thing we will say is that we are playing the phillies and yes. these are the players that are on the phillies yes
1: and i will say if i could jinx
0: anything zach wheeler again has been pitching really well he's lights out he's been untouchable he that's incredible they yeah sure the ones i on last year the patrick Mazika can't hit a homer off that guy no chance <laughs> You already did Patrick Luino. What's the other kid going to be? Mazika Luino. <laughs> it's a pretty name for a girl. If Patrick Mazika hits a home run off of Zach Wheeler. <laughs> I'm not doing that again. I'm not doing that again. It's There's no way. It. It's, not, it's worth not worth it. it. Mazika Luino? Or are you kidding me? It's a horrible name. That doesn't roll off the tongue. <laughs> or we could just do Patrick Mazika Luino. One, one kid. Yeah, I guess. Okay. I'll, I'll throw Mazika as the middle name. Perfect. Mazika will be the middle name. It if almost sounds Greek. Greek. Close. I could, you could You could twist it. It's Greekish. We're getting crazy now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, we hit the hour. Once we hit the hour, things get We head. start to get wild. It's uh, 8.30 on a Wednesday night. It's pretty normal So time. normal. So normal. It's so normal. All right, let's wrap it up here. Episode number 95 of the Mets Up Podcast. Thank you guys for listening and watching. Follow us on all our social media at Mets Up. Follow James at Jeter Had no range. Follow me at GiraffeNeckMark. And uh, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, whatever it is, make sure you're following, subscribing, rating, reviewing. Do it all. Also, allegedly had some trouble with the last
1: episode on Google Podcasts. If that happens again, yeah, a couple people tweeted me that really? they couldn't listen to it on Google. I listen people to it- listen to it on Google? A few people. We're not chastising our Google listeners out there. We're not trying to, you know you know, shun anybody here. But if that does happen again, let us know and I'll rain hell down
0: upon Google. Also, Hand up, my bad, missed the YouTube video, got lazy. All Mark's fault. That's my fault. So tweet at me, you son of a bitch or something. I don't know what it is. I was but... sweating getting the audio to get
1: out for Monday morning at two o'clock in the morning in my hot Brooklyn apartment. And oh. Mark, Mark was relaxing in the air conditioning watching television.
0: I think that's the problem. I think I got too comfortable. <laughs> you sure did. Also, before we go, just a heads up on the next episode, some weird timing going on. So it might be out a little bit later than normal. We don't have an exact time, but it's more likely than not that it will not be available for, like, the 6 a.m. time slot on Monday morning just because we have the late-night game against the Phillies. And also just because it's Memorial Day and we both have stuff going on. So,
1: sorry about that, but it's also is Memorial Day. No matter what happens, on Tuesday morning, you will have a messed-up
0: podcast to listen to. Yeah, I like that. At the absolute worst, Tuesday morning. We're not saying it won't be out Monday. No, Tuesday morning. there's a good chance Monday afternoon you have one, too. But spend Memorial Day, you know, hanging out. And Tuesday morning when you're going back to work? Yeah. Listen to the messed-up podcast. Crack a cold one, enjoy yourself. Have some fun. Yeah, enjoy the weekend, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode. Peace out. Peace out. See you guys next time.